This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. Thank you so much to my patrons. They make this podcast possible and also very fun to do because we are able to interact on a private discord where we can talk, discuss topics, and just in general help each other collect the things that we want. So thank you so much to everyone who participates there. I couldn't appreciate you more. With that out of the way, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we collect Pokemon cards and other nerdy things like damn adults. I am your host, Jess, and thank you so much for being here. Everywhere. And so I'm like, okay, let me just put some shit on. I'm not even... Well, that's the thing, you know, it's like I talk to people for a living, and so it's like I've kind of gotten used to just everyone seeing, like, any flaw that I have because it's like I just sit there and I talk for eight hours a day to random strangers. I'm like, uh, you know, I can't be on for everyone, you know? Dude, I totally get it. And, you know, being able to work remotely has completely changed my life. That sounds really stupid and really dramatic, but it truly has. Like, because A, I know that I can work anywhere. I can do my job living, working anywhere. And so if, if a recruiter comes up to me and is like, you need to move or you need to like, um, you know, commute. Like I got hit up the other day by a company that's trying to build my app. And I'm like, this is really coincidental. That's weird. Do they know me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and they're, they have a location in Chicago and they want me to commute like two times a week to the city. And I'm just not willing to, at yeah. all like that is non-negotiable but um i and think i, I completely agree with you and it being just sort of like you know doing work from home for the first time being sort of like a life-changing experience where it's like if i didn't have the job i'd have i would never want to go to an office again you mm-hmm. know you know so like in my role for viewers that don't know so i'm a, a licensed psychotherapist by trade um and that was really difficult in the pandemic like trying to you know be present with people and connect yeah. virtually right to where it's like sometimes it's a hit, you know, but sometimes it's like does not get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I didn't have to do that, like the actual function of, you know, it's like, okay, I'm done with the meeting and then I can go into, you know, my living room and just sit, maybe play a game for a second, have a cup of coffee and then get back to what I'm doing. You know, it's like that's so much better for your mental health to have like the comforts of home right there while still working. You know, mm-hmm. but it's like if I wasn't a therapist, I would never go into an office again. But being a therapist, it's just like, I kind of have to, you know, it's like the job kinda is easy to. that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there a substantial difference between in-person versus video for you and, and clients? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of communication that happens. It's very hard to say because it's like, I guess I didn't realize it until the pandemic happened that mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, yeah, there's verbal communication. There is, you know, obviously like facial communication, body language, but there's also this sort of like intangible like feeling of the room right ah, and like being able to pick up on little things like that like mm-hmm. not to not to sound too like woohoo about it but like the energy of the room right yeah. you know it's like that is important i think to the session that like you just will never get on teletherapy you know hmm. that is so interesting that you say that just because you you, you realize like when the thing isn't there is when you yeah, notice it. Exactly. Yeah. 
but that's, you know, there's some people crazy. who it's great for, you know, it's like, I have, I have clients who like, you know, they take care of their disabled children or it's like, there's no services by them and they live like an hour and a half away. You oh, know, it's yeah. like for those people, it's like, yeah, okay. We might lose that little intangible thing, but it's like, it actually makes therapy possible for them. You know, yeah. whereas otherwise they would just be kind of shit out of luck, you know, or have to, you know, like one client that I'm thinking of has a daughter that is like full-time care. Right. And like, you know, has to be like physically transported to go from place to place. And having that person come in the office would just feels like unfair and unethical to them and to their daughter, you know, to have to like lug it around every time they need to go to therapy, you know, yeah. but now they can do it, you know, virtually and, you know, everyone's happy. That's amazing. I, I really yeah. love that. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, that, um, you know, the pandemic, I think, has forced a lot of people. Everyone that I've talked to has agreed with this, but it's, of course, OK to disagree. Like the importance of mental health. I know we're getting into mental yeah. health, with this, which is totally fine. I'm here to yeah. talk about it. Um, so it's so important to have those resources. Like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out in my insurance if it'll cover like right now, what I know is that it'll cover first five sessions of therapy, but yeah. I need to know how much it's going to cost me once those five sessions are done because I don't want to commit, yeah, you know, to that. So it's like, and, and then, and so I, I have full insurance and I'm, you know, I have those worries. So thinking about people who don't have access to those resources, it is mm -hmm. so incredibly important because especially part of the reason why I had to take a break off in February was just like, because I take care of, I help take care of my grandparents who are elderly. Yeah. My grandmother has dementia. My grandfather now at this point is completely bedridden and that, yeah. and being a caregiver, but then also being a family member is so incredibly emotionally taxing. Yeah. I have time to put into a podcast, but I don't have emotion to oh, do it. And, and so it made me realize, oh shit, I have some things that I need to get figured out because it's so taxing. Yeah. I need to figure out a routine for me that kind of like helps keep me while also being able to some degree help them. Um, yeah. And so, and, and I'm incredibly privileged to have resources to work from home, to do the thing, to like afford healthcare. And, oh, yeah. and I just can't imagine people who don't like it's yeah. just. So, and just to talk about this a little bit more, and I'm perfectly fine with like hijacking a collecting podcast to talk about mental health because I think we all need it. So, <laughs> um, so like with the insurance covering five sessions thing, right? Um, so you, you have a couple of different options here. Like if you go to a community mental health center, usually they're going to have like backup funds where insurance doesn't cover you, right? So like that's the setting that I work in. So I work in community mental health. So it's like a lot of people with no insurance or like not great insurance. Um, and then we just have like a funding source. It's like a charity that like covers a lot That's of it. That's awesome. Um, so you could just like Google community mental health center near you. The drawback of community mental health is that it's usually kind of hard to get in. You know, like you might not see your therapist as like often as you want to. Um, but if you go private practice, it's just going to depend like if they have sliding scale after you're done with your insurance stuff. Um, you know, I think a reasonable person will do like $60 a session. Right. Uh, and that's also going to like determine, depend on like where you live. Like, are you in an urban area? Right. Cause I'm sure like in New York City, it's like double that, you know? Um, yeah. Look into your community mental health centers, look up people with sliding scale fees. Um, but even at it, I mean, if you haven't been to therapy before, if it's been a long while since you've been to therapy, sometimes five sessions will do the trick, you know? So really? Yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. Um, and if there are more like, you know, obviously you would have a conversation with, 
the therapist and then you figure out from there like if you have to go to a specialist yeah. like to do cognitive uh behavioral therapy or yeah. anything like that okay yeah cool. so That's you cool. know and and speaking of like you know the transition into the collecting side of the podcast <laughs> you know i think a lot of a lot of times with people get into collectibles not necessarily is because it's like a mental health issue but i think collectibles like you know it's nostalgic it makes you happy it brings you back to like a different time in your life um sometimes it can get a little bit addictive you know and so like i wouldn't be shocked if there's like a little bit of like a comorbidity like in the collecting universe with like people who collect and people who like could honestly afford to go see a therapist you know <laughs> and i am one of them you know uh it's like because i have to there are times where it's like I look at things that I like collect and I, and I buy and I'm like, you know, I'm doing this to get like that little surge of dopamine, but it's like, can that be resolved in like some other way in my life? You know? Um. <laughs> Isn't that like a constant, like every day, like just, you know, do I need like yeah. that thing that that's interesting? Yeah. And, and that sort of, that's kind of made me scale back a little bit, like what I'm collecting. So obviously I'm still a collector. I'm on this collecting podcast. Right. Um, but you know, I'm now sort of like just hyper-focusing goals and then not really feeling the urge to have the next goal lined up. Right. So one of the things that I know I like you've that. Been, that you've been seeing me do is like, uh, I'm collecting all the expedition hollows and like PSA eight or better. I am down to one and I have that one. I'm the winning bid on it right now. I'm not even going to say what it is in case someone watches this, <laughs> but that is so I only exciting. have one slab left. And like a thought popped into my head where I'm like, all right, well, what happens after this? Like, is it just upgrade the expedition hollows? Do I have something else? And I'm just realizing it's like, no, I think just enjoy it for a second, right? Like enjoy that you made it to the mountaintop of the thing that you wanted to collect. And then if something comes along that you're really passionate about, then hop into that, you know? Um, but I think there's this sort of like constant urge to be collecting, especially when you're doing like content creation to where it's like, oh, well, I need something to post or I need something to you know, connect to a community with, but it's like collecting is for you, you know, just keep it for you, go at your own pace, you know, do things that you enjoy, not just because like the urge is there or the compulsion is there. Keeping up with the Joneses here. Can you hold that yeah. thought? I need to turn off yeah. this cat toy. One second. <laughs> okay. I've so got to sorry. ask what kind of cat toy it was. <laughs> it was the, it was one of those. Okay. So it's shaped like a cone kind of, and it's got yeah. wheels underneath it underneath and one end is a laser and the other end has got like a tail and it spins around and it goes in random directions so honestly it sounds like a from software boss so, <laughs> <you know? laughs> okay and the only way to beat this boss is for the battery to die and then yeah. you gotta charge it like <laughs> yeah. there there's it no takes, other takes way a lot to of beat endurance. it yeah <laughs> it's so funny um you know you brought up so many great points because a you know, one of the things that I wanted to focus on, and you made a really great segue, by the way, kudos, um, the psychology that is involved pertaining to buying and selling collections and mm -hmm. Pokemon cards. I think those things are big because there's like, it's just the psychology of buying and selling really. But, yeah. but um, also too, I feel so many people get caught up in this because I know of several no let me let me i misspoke at least one bigger creator that mm. is in tens of thousands of dollars in debt to flex yeah. on the gram and i don't judge that because yeah. i understand that because those thoughts of 
flowing through my head too. Thinking about it from like a growth Instagram perspective, I'm like, okay, yeah. what do I need to post that's going to get likes? Oh, okay. I see the Charizards and the mm-hmm. Lugias and, you know, the first editions, they get likes. So in my head, I thought about it before. Like, do I invest or buy in things at these prices just to flex on the gram? And obviously, no. I did not decide to do that, (laughs) but but the urge and the thought was still there. So it it can be really, really dangerous. And that's part of the reason why too, I haven't really been posting anything because, you know, I've been finding and buying some stuff, Kamigawa. Um, And so I've been a little lazy on it, but, but also too, um, you know, I just haven't really been buying cards like in general going yeah. i haven't been going after my goals yet and and i need to like get some shit together first um like figure out what i care about the most because i found myself in the rut like do i actually care about that thing or am i buying it for the flex and so now i'm just super slowed down and it's like okay yeah let me just be super patient um, yeah. So, you know, a couple of things that the IG follower thing, right, of like people going into tens of thousands of dollars in debt, like I can see where internally they would justify that as like, oh, this is a business investment. Like I'm trying to not just build a collection, but also like build my position as an influencer, which then can become my job. Right. But that's it's such a, a steep gamble. Like, I mean, like that is as big a gamble as just like doing nothing but opening like heavy first edition packs, right? Because like no one knows the real formula of the algorithm and how you take off, right? I think you have an understanding of like what people like, but, you know, it's like when it comes down to it, you know, people who follow you and care about you will follow you for like who you are as a person, you know, Um, and not what you're flexing, right? And the people who are following you for what you're flexing are going to get bored of you the second you stop flexing, you know? And so it's like, it's a, it's a no win game there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's good to stay away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, you said a lot of really good things. I really like how you put that stuff. Uh, That is so true because, you know, followers in a lot of ways are really fleeting and, um, it's it's really interesting to see um, bigger influencers, even in other spaces, because I think it applies to any space, um, yeah. you know, where like I heard about, for example, um, you know, influencers in L.A. in the California area, you know, yeah. one influencer will put out like throw a party or whatever and they won't let you into the party unless you hit like a certain threshold, like your mm. currency is your followers on Instagram. <laughs> Jeez. Black Which is honestly, yeah. seriously, and and it's silly. It's I understand it, but then it's also a little silly to me just because you can buy them. So yeah. you know, like how do you how do you truly measure that? But I mean, it that it isn't even the most serious thing. But you're right; yeah. it is such a black, <laughs> you know, experience. Um, and and even still, like it can it can get really emotionally um, frustrating when you're mm-hmm. when you've been doing it for so long and you haven't seen the growth that you want to see. It just yeah. kind of beats you down, and sometimes that can um, you know really demotivate. Um, yeah, and especially because like almost all of us, I would think, you know, like people who are in like this community usually start out because they're a collector and they love collecting. It's like okay, this is a space to kind of like host my collection. But then it's like, if you get to a point where it's like, am I doing this because it's part of my collection and I'm showing what I'm doing or because like now this is the main focus where it's like, 
now I'm, I'm not a collector anymore. I'm like a collectibles influencer, you know, it's like, it completely goes against like the original reason that you got into it, which was just like to have fun and show stuff off that you like, you know? Mm -hmm. That is so true. That is so true. And I think, you know, you've already said it, but, um, the reason behind why you did the thing in the first place and then reevaluating that and figuring that out. And I know I definitely, for sure, am getting to that point, but you know, for the most part, I really haven't had any negative experiences in the community with people. Like everyone I've met is so cool. So awesome. Like I've rarely had any instances where I'm just like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like you kind of creeping yeah. out a little bit. That's never happened to me. And I think it's very rare for that to happen because I see other female creators. I remember one time, um, really awesome female creator that I'm hobby buddies with. Um, I was trying to get her on the podcast and um, we were talking and she was like, oh my God, I love your account. And I love how you show your face because yeah. one of the things that she had mentioned for her, you know, she she feels scared to do that because yeah. you know dudes in the comments are like oh okay yeah. your boyfriend's collection is really awesome you know and oh. she's got like these hardcore baseball cards i'm like you go but she yeah. feels like she has to hide herself you know because of i guess that's bullying um yeah yeah it is yeah, yeah it's bullying it's a form of gatekeeping just assuming that it's like okay well only men get into it it's ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah that that's that's so true i was at a card show last weekend um it it was a smaller one it was a local one it was free you know yeah and i swear to god the only women i saw were like moms or wives who were helping the vendors yeah (laughs) like sell the stuff and and then just like women who were just there because their boyfriend or their husband were there now i didn't really see any card collectors and i'm like oh man that's so sad because it was mostly sports which makes sense that's fine whatever so you can expect a lot of old like baseball card uh collectors there and you had a lot of newer kids selling like the nba stuff and then just like it it seems like people like if you're in the hobby in the 70s it almost exclusively was a male hobby (laughs) you know that is so gosh darn true but you know damn like those baseball there there are some innovators though like um cindy dickens um she she i'm not sure if you follow her God, I wish I, I remembered her at right off the top of my head, but I'll give it to you so you can put it in the, the description. Yes. Um, but she has like the world's biggest collection of just female athletes. Like her cards Ooh. are just all female athletes. And she has stuff from like, you know, like the 1900s, right? Like some of like the rarest cards in the world. That's um, and she's been collecting forever. You know, I'm, I don't want to, you know, I like guess her age, but I know she's probably like late fifties, maybe in her sixties. And she's been collecting since she was a kid, you know, that, so that's she's, awesome. She's awesome. And to think about like the difficult time that, that, you know, women have in the hobby today, like imagine like the difficult time that she had like 40 years ago doing this. You know? I know this yeah. is all just like child's play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I'm really glad you bring that up because that's amazing. I want to see her page. And now that I think about yeah. it, she sounds familiar. Um, so yeah, I might've seen you follow, um, Peter Pacman. Maybe. I was just saying, he, he, he does he does like the rap stuff he does like a lot of like hobby raps and tiktoks and stuff oh no um but no. he's like he's who turned me on to cindy dickens because he has like a rap about her which i thought was really cool, that's cool you know? yeah 
that that's awesome. I I, I really yeah. love to hear that too. And it and it's been really awesome too in the last six yeah. months to see some of the uh, record prices for female tennis stars. Yeah, I am not as into tennis as I was, but when I was a kid, Venus and Serena and Serena yeah. has several cards right now that have been doing record numbers for female oh, yeah. athletes. It's been awesome. I I love it. Every time I see it, I'm. It's it's cool. I I really dig it, um, and I really hope it continues to trend in that direction because, especially yeah. now in tennis, there's a lot of really great female athletes. I mean, in general, in general. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see them have that respect. I was talking to my mom yesterday because it like it's hard for me to watch slash support volleyball sometimes because I got a little cousin she's about yeah. to be in high school and she's thinking about joining the volleyball team and I'm like girl I know you love volleyball but I don't want you to do it because those little like shorts that they have to wear because yeah. reasons oh yeah booty yeah. shorts you got to wear as a kid man I don't want you to be wearing that and then being athletic like oh, I know th there was a whole blow up about it this past uh, summer olympics yes you know? um because people just wanted to wear like actual athletic comfortable clothing instead yeah. of what's practically a string bikini you know like uh, <laughs> yeah. yay yay but anyways you know I digress yeah. um <laughs> there's been a lot of really cool things happening for yeah women athletes even in the collecting space which is which yeah. has been really cool um but you know kind of pivoting back to <laughs> yeah <laughs> um with the tangents um pivoting back to like the psychology of um yeah. you know collecting and whatnot uh are there like hmm so so FOMO from a psychotherapist perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just the general question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, so yeah. so I think specifically when it like relates to collectibles, like the, the FOMO associated with collectibles is kind of interesting um, because it's a combination of social FOMO and financial FOMO. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because you have like the social FOMO of like, am I keeping up with everyone? Like, do I have something that I can flex? Am I going to garner followers from this? If I'm mm -hmm. not on top of this early enough, will people like lose interest in me? Like as a, you know, person showing off their collection. And then there's also the financial FOMO, which is basically just like stonks, you know, just like, oh, this is this is going to be the new Shiba Inu, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. And I think that the more dangerous one, like, you know, for like how much it actually affects your functioning as a person is probably the financial FOMO because uh, mm -hmm. you can really fuck yourself over. Um, the, the social FOMO seems to be like more of like a long-term sort of insidious, like the social FOMO itself is not the problem. It's more of like the branch of a tree where the roots are the greater problem. And it's like, ah. what's at the root of that that is making you like needed to be respected and admired by this community and needing to have that sort of social validation because of your collection. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, and again, I mean, if you really want the therapist perspective, it's like it probably, you know, reaches back somewhere to like your early attachments from childhood, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that makes sense. But, but yeah, you know, I think it's just like people want to feel like they have a place, feel like they have a tribe. And like, if people like gravitate towards the hobby, I think they sometimes see that's like, well, the, the people who have a higher place in the tribe, you know, are doing this, this and that. And so like, I have to do that myself, mm, you know. That's interesting. That That's an interesting way to put it because I always saw that, but you put words to it. So um, like the higher it's place. literally my job, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that's so true. And yeah. mm, 
I, one of the things that I've had conversations with others with, um, that people are kind of worried for people to come like in and out of the hobby. Um, and they say that I, I say it in that way because they come in because they're like, all oh, these cards, I used to like them when I was a kid, I come back nostalgia. And then, um, they fall prey to certain things like within the hobby that just completely yeah. like turns them off on it. Um, like thinking, you know, buying packs and opening up packs is, is not gambling when it is, you know, yeah. if you're trying to get like the card for cheaper, but like your chances, um, it's really gambling. Yeah. Sorry, my cat. <laughs> if you can yeah. hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, so yeah, I, mean, I made a, uh, I made a, a TikTok about this a long time ago. Uh, Cause I, I really love the, uh, the full art bosses orders um, from Rebel Clash. And I never mm -hmm. pulled it myself. And I was just like talking about like the way that my hobby brain sometimes stupidly works to where it's like, all right, I could go and see that it's a $200 PSA 10 card, or I could get a case of Rebel Clash booster boxes for $650 and try my luck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that people find out very quickly um, that the, the gambling aspect of it, or at least I would hope that they would find out quickly that like, if you really love a card from a set, as much as it's fun to open packs, you should probably just buy the card from the set, right? Mm -hmm. Because like the hunt for it is going to be way more expensive and you're going to end up with a lot of like valueless stuff you know um yeah. so what i've sort of gotten into the habit of doing back in the day like i would get like consistently like two booster boxes two etbs like a couple of you know pin collections of every new pokemon set yeah. um i'm at the point now where it's like i just buy one etb and you know i have my fun ripping those packs and then after that if i didn't get what i wanted then i'll just go and get the single that i wanted get the single. um yeah. saves me a lot more money down the road I still have the fun of opening packs, but not the disappointment of like, oh my God, I just opened $500 worth of product and got like nothing, you know? Yeah. Do you think that um, apps like whatnot kind of walk an interesting line between? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If we want to talk about psychology, man, whatnot mm -hmm. is an interesting place. Um, so I obviously, so I did a whatnot stream, right? Heavily promoted it. You know, I was like, all right, I'm going on whatnot. Here we go. Yeah, I made my own little teaser trailer for it. Um, and I haven't been back on since for a couple of different reasons. Um, the first one, let's just talk about the topic that we're already on, which is like how it encourages people to buy. So I started the stream by like reasonably pricing packs, right? And so I'm okay. like, okay, Hidden Fates pack, like we're going to open up this Hidden Fates ETB. I'm going to sell the packs like for a little bit under market price. Like we'll do it auction style, but I'll go under market and see where it lands, right? And so I would set like a Hidden Fates pack at the time was like 15 or $17 ish. So I'd set the price oh, at 13. Yeah. I'd set the price at 13 and it would sell for 13. Sometimes it wouldn't sell at all. And then I'm like, okay, well, I've already opened this ETB. So I'm not just going to not sell these. So let me just price it all at a dollar and see what happens. And so I priced it at a dollar. And right when I started pricing it at a dollar, that FOMO, that like, oh my God, I could get a Hidden Fates, Fates pack for a dollar. That kicked in for people. And then the pack started selling for $25 a piece. Holy crap. You know? Yeah. You know, to where it's like, you could have, if you're on earlier in the stream, you could have gotten one for 13 bucks, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that like the way that whatnot operates where it's in real time, there's a person in front of you, like encouraging you to buy. And like, all you have to do, it's literally one click, one click. And then you are the winning bid, right? Like that is preying off of people's dopamine you know, to where it's like, okay, well, 
you give them these little surges and then they're operating in ways that they normally wouldn't operate. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, like I do a lot of wins. Yeah. Right. You know, I do, I do a lot of like uh, addictions counseling, like that's half of the work mm -hmm. that I do. And you know, it's like, everyone's like, Oh God, well, it's like all these things I did while I'm high. Like I don't even feel like that person anymore. So it's hard for me to make amends for things I did while I'm high. Right now, granted, whatnot isn't giving you cocaine, <laughs> but it's like a smaller version of that. Like you're in like a miniature high when you're doing that live, like rapid bidding um, to where it's like, you're going to end up doing things you regret, you know? So yeah. like the people won the auctions, like, obviously I'm going to like honor the sale that was made and give them what they what they won. But I haven't gone live since then because I'm like, I don't want to be the arbiter of this like bad decision-making, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, not, not a big fan of whatnot. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And I think, uh, I completely understand your point and your reasoning for not doing it. It's almost like you kind of, you as a therapist know too much, you know, like when you know yeah. too much, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you, you, the, the guilt is just, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The reality is whatnot is responsible, but by me hosting a stream, I feel responsible during that stream, mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So. And I think uh, when it comes to experiential, I guess it's called an experiential shopping. Mm -hmm. I want to say there was a time I was on like an Amazon app and I could have mm -hmm. swore I saw something similar. Like they were advertising for something yeah. similar. Um, and it also kind of reminds me too of like the beauty halls and the clothing halls. I don't yeah. watch them. That's not my thing, but I know they exist. And so that experiential, like someone going in talking about a thing, you know, mm -hmm. obviously people on YouTube didn't necessarily have an auction component, but making those two things the same, you know, it's pretty easy to incorporate them in any yeah. industry. So. You know, I, I wish, and I know that they would never build this in because whatnot would be like, well, why do I want to limit my profits? And why do I want to limit the profits of the sellers? But mm -hmm. I would love it if they could build in like a, <clears throat> you know, like a, a, almost like a reverse reserve price, you know, to where it's like, huh. you know, you do it, you know, it's like people do the $1 auction, but then if someone hits this number, the auction is over and they won, you know, uh -huh. um, because That's then I could feel like, you know, like if I have, so I have like a bunch of slabs coming back from PSA, right. And whatnot would be a good way to move them. But also I'm like, okay, well, if I think of the range, I would consider it okay for this slab to sell in, right? So it's like, okay, well, this is like a $50 slab. I'm okay with it selling anywhere between like 40 and 65. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I could cap it at 65 and then let the auction rip, you know, then that go there, my guilt is out the window, <laughs> you know? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I wonder if there could be more sellers on the platform if mm -hmm. something like that existed. And I, I don't know. And, and, and what I'm not, what I'm trying to not do is necessarily demonize sellers on there because I have other no. friends who are on there and they do yeah. a good job and I think they take care of their people. Um, yeah. You know, there are things you can do to be a bad person on whatnot, <laughs> you know, but, but not everyone is a bad person. On whatnot, yeah, you know? exactly. Um, just like the extra incentives and like doing things to where it's like, you're incorporating gambling despite, you know, gambling being a allegedly illegal on the app, you know, huh. like that. Oh yeah. So the whatnot orientation, look, I, I have no intention of going live again on whatnot. So I'm all right. If they want to like pull my live after listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> but so whatnot. So it's like you put in your application and then it's like, all right, time for your whatnot orientation. And the whatnot orientation is basically just 25 minutes of them speaking legalese to cover themselves from people who are trying to run gambling on the app. It doesn't teach you anything about the app. 
right? They're like, if you have questions about how to actually do the function on the app, just click on this link, right? But really they're just like, all right, here is what's illegal. We don't sponsor gambling. Here are things that are sort of like gambling that you're allowed to do. So it's like, they know what they are, you know? Mm. Um, so it's- Like uh, I would, opening I would packs and them. auctioning is gambling, like, okay. Yeah, well, they're like, nope, that's not gambling. Uh, so like raffles aren't gambling if you do it in a way to where it's like if you bought a pack you get a free raffle entry like that's not gambling even though like if you are raffling off something really good that's going to encourage someone to buy a pack that they never would have bought you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just like there's tons of stuff that people do on there that's like super shady and I think whatnot knows it but they're not going to really attempt to stop it they're just going to kind of like cover their ass in the orientation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and do you think like, there's, there's like a little bit of, um, um, what do you call it? it it's a gray area. And so since it's not like yeah. blatant, you know, blatant, blatant, this, that, and the third, you know, actual gambling, yeah. that's, that's why they don't really put a hammer on that. Yeah, exactly. Because they know that so many people are utilizing their app to do things like that. Um, and so like, they can't really put the hammer down on it or else like their app would cease to exist, you know? Mm. Um, and so it's like, they just wanted to basically give everyone the instructions on how to correctly gamble and whatnot (laughs) so that Mm. we don't get sued. Um, and you know, the whole purpose of the orientation is that it's like, if you end up running an illegal gambling, gambling ring, then whatnot can say like, oh, well, we're, we don't have any liability here because we taught them. Plausible deniability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cause, cause at that point it's the, um, it's the, it's on the seller. So yeah. It, yeah. rather than the app facilitating, um, I, I, I can, yeah. It, yeah. It'll be some things whatnot does, right. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they streamline a lot of things. I think like it would be great if eBay could incorporate, um, like, mm-hmm. like their label generation. Um, so eBay, it's like, if you sell a product on eBay, um, you know, you can print a shipping label from eBay and that's cool. Um, but what whatnot does is that they can they do that in like batches right so like if you do a a live sale everyone in your live sale they'll generate a shipping label for and they'll combine everything that one person bought under one label right and so it's like so they'll know like if i had a person who bought like a slab and i bought i bought a pack and something else they'll incorporate the weights that you input for those items and they'll say okay well here's a shipping label for this person who bought item number seven eight and four you know, um, and so like that is really cool, right? Yeah. So there, there are parts of the app, and honestly, I even think that the live bidding thing is like a smart idea that I'm surprised that other apps hadn't really done or in, on the scale that they do. Um, but you know, it's just like uh, you take the good with the bad. In my end, it's yeah. like uh, it feels like sixty percent bad, forty percent good. So I'm just gonna stay away from it. Yeah, yeah. You found you found how you feel about it, and you stay yeah. in that lane, and that's completely fine. And then other people, you know, they they do how they want, and, and oh yeah, be fine and as well. you know, and again, just to just to say for the people who like I do know, love, and respect who use whatnot, mm-hmm. um, that's I, I still go on whatnot. <laughs> you know, it's like as <laughs> as a buyer, like, yeah. I still go there because yeah. it is kind of fun sometimes. You know, um, that's that's so awesome. Yeah, you know, so it's like I don't knock anyone for doing whatnot. It's just I've got my personal gripes with it. So yeah, yeah, yeah completely understandable and and really you know re- respectful on that. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I've only seen one stream 
rock Pokemon. I've only I've only yeah. been on on one. I, I one. always hop on his. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, and that and that's the thing too, where it's talking about like good people on the app. You know, like Connor's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, mm-hmm. um, and he's really and that's another thing about you know the geeked out collecting community. Connor's someone who I never would have met if it wasn't for you. You know, oh. and so it's like, and he's someone who I talk to like constantly on Instagram. You know, he's awesome. Um, yeah. So, and that's I think Connor is an excellent example of like a good person using the app in the right way and not like clearly not doing anything intentionally shady. You know, so like mm-hmm. if you want to, if for people listening, if you don't go on whatnot, if you want to try out whatnot, go to Rock Pokemon. He he does good stuff. Yeah, he does. He does. I, I actually remember before he had a whatnot, we had a conversation about it because he kind of wrestled with mm-hmm. it as well. Um, yeah. And I think it, it sounds like he's, when I was on there, it was fine. Like it, 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 I mean, fine. Like it was entertaining obviously, but it yeah. was good in terms of like that balance of, you know, I am trying to sell something, but I'm not trying to do too much or, or kind of get into yeah. the more questionable part of it. So I agree. Great example of a really good, really good stream yeah. uh, from my opinion, well, though I, mean, I will say I haven't experienced a bad one because I've only been yeah. on his. Yeah. So. Well, that was, that was kind of the interesting thing too, about that one whatnot stream that I did is that's like, you know, I'm saying in my head, that's like, Oh, these people bought these things for more than they should. But every, all the feedback I got was like, that was super fun. Thanks. <laughs> you know? <And> so <laughs> oh, I'm like, like that's, that's a part awesome. of it that like I kick around in my head, like, will I ever go back on there? Because it's like, even if I think like, that's a bad, bad thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people enjoyed it, you know? So, right. Um, yeah. right yeah but again going back to the addiction thing people really enjoy cocaine as well so <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny I, i'm not gonna lie I've, I've considered going on there as a seller to just kind of learn yeah. and get a taste like that's really the only thing only way i can do things is like just yeah. going on there trying myself getting a taste of it um and i thought about doing that uh especially since i finally have back all of my slabs from cgc cards it's insane i got some crazy shit i haven't posted in the discord for a while and i really need to just do it because i got them like last (laughs) okay so 500 slabs i imagine there's a lot of diversity in what what stuff did you send in ton of things um so i sent in a whole bunch of gym challenge um i bought a huge bulk lot from gym challenge a lot of it was common and uncommon and a lot of it were yeah. you know dupes but you, those are sets that i want to collect i love those sets a gym challenge yeah. gym hero um those were my biggest ones so or made up the biggest portion of it so i yeah. went in i found the best cards i pulled them and then the rest is you know my trading money so so there's that to get yeah. new cards to upgrade to whatever um yeah you know, because I'm I'm going after a Shadowless Master set. Um, yes. My baby. So with this stuff, my I'm interested because like I always do the same thing. You know, to where it's mm-hmm. like I will sub stuff that is for my personal collection, but then like the rest is just stuff to basically pay for the sub and then pay for like other things that I want to do in the in the collectible space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering what of the stuff that you submitted that's like for sale. Like, what's the general makeup of that? Is it all Pokemon, or did you throw a couple other things in there? Like Pokemon. Yeah. 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 This particular one is all Pokemon. Um, I don't know if in the future I might want to send out some magic cards because they do magic. If they did Fortnite, I would send out Fortnite. They don't. So sad day. But um, and and the reason why, like, I would prefer to send my Fortnite to PSA because I have them all PSA. But because the slabs are the same size, I'm fine. I'm fine with some being CGC. 
Do you think there's a uh, there's like a magic push happening right now? Okay, let's talk <laughs> about magic because magic is doing some really interesting things. Yeah. Like, and and I'm not even fully up to date with everything that they've been doing, but Crimson Vow, Kamigawa, they've yeah. been the most interesting sets so far because i feel like they're trying to tread this new territory and mm -hmm. i'm still waiting for the secret there for fortnite in street fighter um, yeah that's a, so street fighter street fighter they did drop um they fortnite, yeah so i i got extras i might be able to get you one <laughs> so uh Fort, fortnite's supposed to be later this year um, okay. okay but one of the things i noticed with kamigawa that um i don't think they've done in a set before but like clearly it's paying off for them um, is that they are incorporating some principles from sports cards that make sports cards really collectible mm -hmm. that I don't see in other TCGs. So the uh, the number one card in that set, I forget the name, but it's like something, the Devourer. Um, yeah. They have all these parallels, right? So they have like the foil, but now instead of just the foil, they have like neon green parallel, neon red parallel, gold parallel, right? In the uh, um, collector boxes, right? That's where you can get those. Yeah. Yeah, so you get them in collector's boxes. And the thing with that is that it's like there are so many different parallels of that card that the that with like increasing rarity, like like smaller print run with like the higher up you get, that's like they finally created like a big, big chase card for magic. So that guy, like the neon red parallel, the last time I checked, which was like last week, raw thousand dollar card, which I've never yeah. seen in magic. Never seen in magic yeah. at all. It's you know, phenomenal and I think because, it's because like, of the parallels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think of magic, the first chase card that you think of is Black Lotus instantly. Boom. Yeah. But, you know, that is completely like that has just gone to a place where very few of us can, yeah. you know, keep up with and, and ever probably own. But oh, yeah. I was looking yeah. at uh, so one of my personal grails, like, I'm definitely not buying right now. It's too expensive, but it was up for auction. I'm not sure if it ended or if it ends tonight. Um, Alpha demonic tutor um oh, was, okay. yeah so it's uh it was selling in psa 10 the last time i saw the bid was at like three thousand dollars um so i'm not sure where it ended um but yeah like the, the alpha set is obviously that's popping off as more people are like understanding like magic as a collectible and not just a trading card game um and so people are looking towards alpha for that yeah it, it it seems like magic okay so a few years ago i feel like especially when i got into pokemon i was the mm -hmm. only one that got into pokemon like into the social media space that was yeah. doing magic the gathering and i think now they're starting to get some momentum in just mm -hmm. like in terms of the collecting side of it because mm -hmm. people who have been learning pokemon who have been learning flesh and blood who have been doing metazoo who have been you know or yeah. even come from the sports world they see like okay i've learned the principles I know kind of like what to chase or I know how to figure it out. Yeah. Let me now move into another space to expand because, you know, yeah. maybe they hit the wall, they've gotten there, they've gotten what they feel like they wanted to get or needed to get, or, you know, maybe at a certain point they've been priced out on things. And so they're moving into magic is yeah. what it feels like. Um, yeah. Well, I'm surprised a lot of people hadn't like, particularly Pokemon people. I'm surprised mm -hmm. that more Pokemon people haven't like naturally drifted into magic the way I have, because it's like, yes. you know, people like, oh, we love vintage Pokemon, you know, it, like Wizards of the Coast sets were so good. It's like, guys, you know, Wizards of the Coast like still makes cards. <laughs> like they've been doing magic yes. for like 30 years now, <laughs> you know. Um, Seriously.
you know, and if you look at like Kamigawa, like the the art in Kamigawa is insane, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like it's that same company. It's Wizards of the Coast still continuing to pump out gold, but doing their thing. People, yeah, people just neglected it because it's not Pikachu, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, when I think about Pokemon people, I think of really nerdy people. And yeah. and I've always said that I collected everything, but I haven't met too many people that and like I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, but like yeah. where are the comic book people that also collect Pokemon or magic or yeah. baseball? Like where? 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 Yeah. Very few. <laughs> Very few. And 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 what I love, especially too, about Magic the Gathering that I've been getting more mm-hmm. into recently. Um, but it really blew my mind when I first found out about it at the time was the flavor text. And, you know, obviously most yeah. people do not pay attention to the flavor text, but mm-hmm. I find it very cool that they can communicate lore and story yep. into the cards. And I love that the story, they will add in everyone. Okay. Well, the biggest players in from yeah. the story into the game and like the Eldrazi, for example, yeah. right? Uh, the queen. She is so OP in the story. They make her OP yeah. in the game and then they just ban the card, which oh, yeah. is is cool because they still tell that story. And I mean, you know, the basics of it is really mm-hmm. simple and really cool. You have these different planes, people in different locations. They yeah. have the main people that can jump between planes. Those are the planeswalkers, you know, like it, it's very yeah. cool, very interesting. And then when Crimson Vow came out with those like little trailers, I'm like, magic needs to do what riot games did to league of legends like give me arcane but magic like yeah well you know so wizards of the coast so they do they do magic they're also kind of like handling dungeons and dragons right and Mm -hmm. i know that they tried to do a leap like dungeons and dragons video game like in like 10 or 15 years ago Mm -hmm. you know um and it didn't quite take off um and so like yeah, so I'd, I'd love for them to try to do that again. You know, I think that's sort of like part of how I had sort of like a bridge into being a magic collector is that it's like, well, I was already into like old school Pokemon, um, mm-hmm. but also like I played Dungeons and Dragons growing up, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's like the the perfect fusion of those two things, um, which is why I went crazy when they did the Dungeons and Dragons set like uh, earlier last year. Yeah. Um, um, like yeah. That, that was the most magic product I've opened of a single set because I just that's like- awesome my whole high school experience you know <laughs> you know but, but yeah you know it's like they they do dungeons and dragons and dungeons and dragons is all about lore building and about like following characters and creatures from i mean there are some people who play dungeons and dragons games with the same characters for decades you know um and so it's like there's so much material to build off of mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to compete with like that that amount of lore it honestly kind of reminds me of legends like star wars legends you just have decades of stories and stories not all of them good but some of them really really good um which is i think that actually what got me into comics um because you know everyone likes the superheroes and you know that's cool but yeah like collecting Star Wars comics actually is really fun because those stories are really yeah. interesting. There's like some really random shit. So, um, yeah. But yeah, and I think that that's where where Pokemon sometimes falters is that it's like you know they have years and years of materials to work off of, but it seems like what they do like every time they make a new generation of Pokemon is that it's like all right, well, I guess we have to make like a hundred new Pokemon, <laughs> you know, <laughs> instead of instead of just building off of the lore you already have, right? Yeah. Like, 
the biggest success in my eyes that Pokemon has had in like the past couple of years is Legends Arceus, right? Mm -hmm. Incredible game. And part of it was that they didn't try to do anything new. They were just like, okay, well, let's take the lore of the Sinnoh region and expand it and give it its uh, like a background and, you know, have there be like this rift connecting like Sinnoh and, and the Hisui region and all that. And, you know, it's like when they played with the material they already had, they made the best game that they've made in ages, you know? Um, and so I think that, I hope that's a tip off for them to where it's like, okay, we can, we can just this mess is... with what we've already got, you know? But then immediately after I was thinking that it's like, okay, and here's gen nine. I'm like, ah, no. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I, and, and, and I don't know. Some of the modern Pokemon too is like, no. Yeah. Well, like, dude, I mean, they probably should have stopped when they made Clef Key. That was, I think that was like four generations ago. But <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, it's like, so a, it's like it's a keychain. It's like, okay, what's it do? Well, it's metal. <laughs> metal. Do do the metal moves. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I cannot, I've not been able to really get into a lot of the modern sets. Um, I do buy like, you know, I opened up, uh, I, I didn't open up any Fusion Strike. I just bought a few ETBs and I was like, yep. okay, cool. Um, but the other set too that for some reason I can't think of and Brilliant Star Brilliant looks like stars doing, or... doing really well. I haven't opened any of that one yet, but I know it seems to, it seems to have a weight to it where it's like, mm, this might be a legendary set. Just kind of like yeah. Kamigawa, which we haven't talked about yet really, mm -hmm. but it's going to go down yeah. as one of those really yeah, pivotal Brilliant Stars. You know, it's like, uh, it's it does a lot of what Cosmic Eclipse did, right? You know? Mm -hmm. um, so, like, doing the character cards, having the character cards be, like, hits in the spot of, like, the where the reverse rare would go, you know, so that you have the possibility of, like, a crazy good pack, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think Brilliant Stars is great. Uh, I'm just, like, I fully am just living in Japanese Pokemon now, you know? Because it's, like, every everything that English Pokemon is doing, Japanese Pokemon is doing better. Um, not mm. just from the basic stuff that people know, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, the card stock is better, you know, the printing quality is usually better. Um, but also just like the way they structure sets, right? So like, for example, um, VMAX Climax, right? Like that set's almost like just entirely dedicated to the character cards, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the boxes, they were like short run boxes, right? So it's like, you only have 10 packs and the packs are all big hitters, you know? Um, and so it's like a little bit easier to like collect the set. That's um, awesome. Whereas, you know, it's like then, in, you know, you jump that over to Brilliant Stars and Brilliant Stars is like, there are so many cards, but the set, That's like scary. the hit rate is still like the same Shitty. as any other set, you know? And so it's like impossible to collect a master set other than buying cards individually, you know? Um, but I think like the clearest kind of jump for that is like the stark difference between uh, EV Heroes and Evolving Skies. Right. Mm, yes. Okay. So Eevee Heroes, you have it is basically a set just dedicated to Eevee, right? And all the evolutions. Yeah. And they even they're super cute. They put like a little joke in there to where all of the all of the hyper rare cards, right? It's like uh, you know, Glaceon, Flareon, you know, Jolteon. Um, and then the only other Pokemon that's not an ev evolution is Inteleon, which is hilarious because it's like, oh, well, because it ends in Eon, it's it's allowed to be in this set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, but, right. You know, it's like it was a focused set. Like, if you like Eevees, this is where you live. But mm -hmm. then they took Eevee Heroes and then they took, uh, I forget what it's called, but something like Sky, Towering Sky or whatever. They took three Japanese sets and made Evolving Skies. 
and evolving skies yeah it's great because it has a lot of great cards in it but it's like there's no focus and it's like it's way too many cards in one set and like it doesn't make sense cohesively where it's like Eevee heroes like you know what the character of that set is you know exactly what you're going to get from a box like it's it's just gold you know and so that's one example but it's like i feel like pretty much every japanese set has done something like that recently where it's like you look at where the japanese set right went right and then where the english set went wrong Mm. Mm -hmm. that's the i i'm really glad you said that because i i've actually heard that criticism elsewhere and the first time i heard it i was like "Ooh, that's what it is i've been feeling fatigue because Mm -hmm. those sets are so damn big when i opened up evolving sky i was like okay there's some interesting cards i'm getting a little confused because there's this version this version this version and this version like i gotta learn what the art is so i can see the difference between the two like like the, the full art version and the alt art version and then like the normal version and for me i'm not used to seeing those cards so for me yeah. it's like silly but it's like a little mentally taxing to because yeah. i'm like i'm not going to study it. i need it to be easy <laughs> but which is really what i liked about celebrations because celebrations you could open you can get like a handful of of uh etbs and potentially yep. get the full set which was really exactly. really cool um really liked it because i think because uh, there's technically two celebration sets. I've seen it separated out between two different ones. Yeah, the classic like collection and the regular yeah. one. Yeah. 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 And they're celebrations, short, I feel like, was the best English product they've made in a long time. Um, you know, it's like, it really, like, it was enjoyable to open. You know, you could get really mm-hmm. big hits. And, you know, there were so many, you know, there were 25 classic collection hits. And so it's like, that's just enough to where it's like a chase, but also to where it's realistic to do just from opening. Yeah. Um, so I, col- I completed a master set of uh, celebrations and only okay. like five or six cards of it were cards I had to like trade for or buy. Like the rest mm-hmm. I was able to open naturally without spending stupid amounts on product. And it's just super, it was super fun to open, you know, four cards in a pack. One of them's going to be great. You know, you're going to have, you know, usually, I mean, they had like the surfing Pikachu and all that stuff. Like every other pack at least had something in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you so. feel like you were getting good hits, but it was exactly. just like, yeah. Yeah. And I knew, I knew that the value was going to drive down, you know, like that's because of like how easy it was to hit stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because like when I saw that Umbreon, like I think like within a week or two after the set launched, the Umbreon Gold Star was like $250. Um, and I was like, it's too easy to get stuff in here. I'll wait. And then by the time I got it, I got it for like, I did it in a trade for the equivalent of like, 40 bucks which is like nice that makes sense for that card you know um but yeah they really i feel like with celebrations they really focused on like creating like a cohesive set that was like fun to open which i feel like they miss out on in a lot of their like mainline sets right and and you feel that way about brilliant star as well yeah brilliant stars is like approaching it right so brilliant Mm -hmm. stars it is still a little bit too much like there's still there's a lot in it um but you know it has been pretty fun to rip so you know, I would say where I rank it, like, if we think of, like, the dawn of, like, the true modern era being, like, Hidden Fates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where it's, like, there were, there were modern sets before that, but Hidden Fates really, like, started the pandemonium again. Um, I think you go, like, Hidden Fates, Cosmic Eclipse are, like, right there, neck and neck. Um, and then I would say Celebrations, and then Brilliant Stars is, like, in the mix right underneath Celebrations, so. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. That that's cool. I, I think I think I'd agree with that because I too came back into Pokemon in Hidden Fates as well. So like that, yeah. that makes sense. I think that's for that's the case for a lot of people. 
Yeah, it's funny. I was like a little bit primed to come back right before Hidden Fates because, you know, my brother, Pancake Analytics, Tommy. Um, so I was already like every now and then buying like XY ETBs when I saw them, um, you know, just because I'm like, oh, Pokemon cards. I haven't opened these since I was a kid. So I would like buy product like maybe once every two or three months. Um, and then Tommy uh, texted me. He's like, are you near GameStop? Go there right now. There's a new Pokemon set. I don't have time to explain. <laughs> No, no, don't ask questions. Yeah, and that was and that was Hidden Fates, and uh, yeah, that chase. I still never pulled the Charizard, um, mm. but but that chase was super duper fun. Um, like I think that ultimately that Charizard, like the Black Charizard from Hidden Fates, that's going to be like the Michael Jordan for modern Pokemon. You mm. know, because there's obviously way too much Charizard hype. There's a Charizard in like every damn set now, but yeah. that Charizard like there was like a whole phenomenon around chasing just this one card, you know? Um, and it was genuinely difficult to pull, you know? Um, and it still is. And so like, I, I think that that's going to be, that's going to go down as like from this era of Pokemon, like that's the card people want. Mm, um, and it's yeah. still like relatively attainable right now. I mean, I, in like a PSA 10, I want to say it's like 1500. If so. Okay. You know? Um, yeah, I think like I'm 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 trying to think of what I've got in like hidden fates and like what it is. And I think the last thing that I have that I have not opened is might be the Master Ball. Might be the Master yeah. Ball collection. So I'm thinking about like, you know, it's been a while since I valued it, but I think I might do it again just to poke around and see like what yeah. I got. Because I can't remember, I can't remember uh what the value was the last time I looked at it, but that's definitely one that I'm gonna hang on to because um like just keep it sealed for a while and then you know if i need money or something else <laughs> yeah you know that that would probably be one of the first things that i'd move just because you know yeah it's, we have, it's like um, oh, this is cool but i don't care so so we are going to las vegas in may uh my wife and i yes and uh the last time i was in las vegas uh it was like on a brother's trip with like all the brothers and my dad and we opened up i want to say it was 2012 uh, which is crazy thinking back because it's like such a such a high value set now. But we opened up a, a box, a hobby box of 2012 Prism Basketball on the plane to Vegas. Wow. Um, okay. And my dad, my dad pulled like a one of one in the hobby box. Now, granted, it was like Maurice Spate, so it like wasn't like a huge player, but still, I mean, like it on the plane good. to Vegas, opening a one of one, like it was awesome. Uh, people were looking at us like, "What the hell's happening?" Because like we were all going like insane um and so like to carry on the family tradition since it just could be me and my wife she's not super into sports cards uh we're thinking i'm probably going to bring like a hidden fates etb to open on the plane to vegas um you know just to kind of get the party going with you know collectibles <laughs> yeah so. that'll be awesome that'll be yeah. so good oh that yeah and and maybe yeah. you'll get a one-on-one who knows yeah we'll see i don't think we'll they see. make them but no. that actually surprisingly <laughs> but like a really perfectly it transitions perfectly into one of the other things I wanted to mention. Um, so we were talking earlier about um, Magic the Gathering starting to incorporate some sports card stuff that's like helping it become more collectible. Mm -hmm. um, and so like one of those things is parallels, which Magic is doing. The mm -hmm. other thing that my brothers and I have co constantly talked about Pokemon needs to do, but they have some sort of reluctance to. And the now MetaZoo is getting in on, yep, mm -hmm. numbered cards, serialized cards. Um, because I saw, I didn't even realize that they were doing serialized cards for MetaZoo, um, but they're doing it in that top set, the one where it's like not the TCG, yeah. it's just the art. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw some that are like numbered to 99 that people are going crazy over. And it's like, 
you know, people who listen to this, if you don't know me, you, I don't like MetaZoo. <laughs> it's just, it's not my thing. But, but uh, I'm starting to see where I think they've kind of like got something going for them, like mm-hmm. where like long term, it could actually be something legitimate. Um, based off of two things. One, seeing them using the serial numbers, because that's brilliant. That's what Pokemon should have been doing. And the fact that MetaZoo hopped on it before them is like, come on, Pokemon company. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, um, we were at Collecticon uh, like two or three weekends ago. And seeing the like legitimate passion for MetaZoo that people have, like not just like people who are there trying to like, you know, financial FOMO, make money off of it, but like there was a massive tournament. People were like, you know, collecting it. There were vendors that were selling cards and people were actually buying and using them in tournament. Um, That's awesome. You know, I think, I think MetaZoo, I, I've got to give it some props because despite hating it <laughs> and like, I still like, I'm not going to buy any MetaZoo for myself. Um, but I think that there really is like an actual now organic movement associated with MetaZoo. And I think it's because they do a lot of those things right with like the way that they roll out promos, the way that they do serial number cards. They'll probably, they also have parallels as well. They have like black border stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they figured something out. It's going to be interesting to see like where that goes. You know, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, I too am not a fan of MetaZoo. Um, I've not played it, but I probably should. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the original art that came out. I don't know. I just didn't, no. I, I, I didn't, I didn't care for it, but I mean, of course yeah. I don't, I don't knock anyone who loves it and likes it. like totally cool. It, it's just not for me and yeah. that's completely okay. And I'm not going to just like necessarily sit in and bash it per se, but yeah, I did find it to be really interesting just because, um, like this, this is the one thing that I've told people before. It's like, okay, so you get these cryptids from these local regions and then these local regions play. Sorry, I, just have, I have to pause just for a second. Cause I just got mm. a notification from eBay. They're like, Hey, demonic tutor, PSA 10 ending soon. So that card I was telling you about the alpha, we have 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We've got 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what's it at? What's it at? So right now, so it's actually lower than I thought right now it's at $2,400. So, yeah. So, so okay. we will see where that lands. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, that's awesome. Like, like, yeah. would you get it at this price point right now? I mean, if I if I were at a different point right now with my hobby money, yes. Like, for example, if so, my I'm still waiting on my PSA return. If uh-huh. my PSA return was already here and sold, then yeah, I probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I try to only use hobby money on the hobby. You know, and so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, making the hobby pay for itself, which I know you've touched on a lot in the in the past few episodes, um, is really critical to making it sustainable and enjoyable to where it's like you're mm-hmm. not using your real world funds on this. This is just you sell cards, you get cards, you do the same thing, rinse and repeat, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, that that is a whole topic in itself. And I love talking about it because it's like. There, there's so many good parts of it it's like just being smarter you know yeah. and and i was dumb and all of us are kind of dumb when we first get back into it because we're like oh my god you yeah. know you have all this you, you you're an adult now and you now have the things mm-hmm. to buy like without like oh you you know your parents can't say oh you can't get that because of this this, and that you know you just have the money and you just have the access so it's like yeah. that's always the first thing that happens well and, and the reality is i think it's like people get into it and they're like okay okay i want to get the things i like but it's like okay well this is in its way like its own kind of stock market and so it's like 
you're not just going to like overnight become an investment broker because you like things. Yeah. To learn. It, it, it's taken me into a space that I don't care. Like it's, 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 it's brought me into a space of thinking about things that I don't care to think about them in this way, but mm-hmm. I do because there's financial tie to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and not from the perspective of just like investing something and thinking about if it has ROI mm-hmm. in the future, because I think that is something to think about. And it can be fun to think about when you hit it. And it's like, oh my God, yeah. that was absolutely worth it. But when you see a thing that you want, it's a thousand dollars and you're like, so I might need to be a little bit patient on this. Like, is it realistic yeah. for me to get, you know, you, you kind of like, you, you kind of start yeah. thinking about well, it from that that's, way. That's what I had to do with like the expedition slabs, right? So like, I'm almost done with those. But what I learned from like the early on slabs I purchased to like the slabs that I'm slowly garnering now is mm-hmm. like, you have to get into the mindset of, okay, let's say I'm right. And this is actually like a pretty low price for this slab. Like, mm-hmm. how much is it going to hurt me to say like, okay, well, if this goes up by 50%, you know, in the next five years, right? Is it really like, do I have to spend $600 right now? Mm-hmm. in order to not spend $900 five years from now, yeah, right? When the reality is it's like, okay, well, how much is that $600 going to hurt right now, right? Versus like, if I'm thinking of like, okay, well, it's, it's almost like going on a five-year payment plan for, for $900, right? If I really want to set that hobby money aside, if I don't need it right That's now, I can, I can get it for $900 five years from now, or maybe I was wrong and that card's going to tank and then I can get it for way cheaper than $600, <laughs> you know? And so- yeah you know and so it's it's sort of like uh, that's where i think the financial fomo gets screwed up is that like the reality is it's like most cards are not going to 10x you know anytime soon right and so it's like if it's you know if it's only gonna 1.5x you know it's like okay yeah maybe you should have bought it earlier but guess what now you've had five years to save for it so who cares you know that's a good point that's a good point i you know i never thought about it that way but yeah yeah, if you do just put a little bit aside each each month, you know, it, it kind of adds up. Yeah. And I, I you think know, and, and I got lucky on some of the expedition cards because it's like it it had like a boom and bust in a matter of like a couple of months. Uh probably some sort of influencer pumping scam. Uh, <laughs> but right now that last slab, I'm winning it right now. That last slab is only at like $56, you know? And it's like a card that I almost pulled the trigger on at 300 like months and months ago you mm. know and so it's like i was smart i was smart to wait and granted i'm probably not going to win it at 56 it's probably going to go up a little bit but sure mm-hmm. shit ain't going to go to 300 you know <laughs> so thank god thank god good luck good luck you yeah, gotta post it you, you gotta post it tag <laughs> <I'm real>. me <laughs> yeah you know when it comes to those e-cards though i mm-hmm. think like I'm really glad you you like them because I really think yeah. th- that's a place to that's a space to be, especially if you have the mintiest versions because they're so rare, yeah. they're so rare. I um I um one of my old coworkers, she had a whole bunch of Pokemon cards that she wanted me to kind of like evaluate for her about two years ago, and um I saw some of the cards. I thought they were cool. I bought a Blastoise. I bought a few e cards. I can't remember what sets they were from because I know so little of those sets, but. Anyways, I sent out those cards to get graded and I got them back and I knew they weren't going to grade that high, but it yeah. didn't matter to me because I'm like, let me at least 
preserve the state that it's in like that like yeah so sometimes it's hard to keep cards in the state that they're in especially with hollows that are delicate like that yep you know you you just want to keep it turns out the blastoise i got a cgc8 um yep. which was amazing to me honestly when it comes to vintage and cgc and how they grade yeah but well, also- and i don't think there will ever be a pokemon card or any tcg card that even comes close to this so like forgive the comparison but like mickey mantle rookie card right psa one is seventeen thousand dollars you know and so it's like sometimes the you know the preservation it's like okay yeah well it's probably only gonna get a six or a seven but it's like we don't know what the pokemon card market's gonna look like in 40 years you know like some those sevens might be like gold you know most cards that the answer is gonna be no like (laughs) you know like there's there's gonna be just like an ass load of psa 10 but for certain sets right so like with the e-series it's truly rare truly limited printing you know like if you look at psa's like they've been publishing a lot of things recently about um what cards are getting submitted like how many cards from Mm -hmm. from what got submitted like you know over the past month and you know a lot of people are going to be very sad when they get their returns because everyone when the logan paul thing happened was like okay well let's get all of our watsy hollows out there but yep (laughs) so many unlimited watsy hollows you know even even the first editions right so like the first editions from like you know team rocket and you know jungle and all that um those are also much more printed than expedition sky ridge and aquapolis right Mm -hmm. um and so like i've been a little bit nervy because i've seen that like oh some expedition cards are getting like there are some new ones getting graded but even Mm -hmm. at that i mean it's like expedition the way i see it shaking out over the course of next year expedition might double in pop report but unlimited like you might genuinely see like literally a hundred times more than there previously was before all this crap happened you know? oh yeah um oh, so yeah. like i think on one of them like the mew shot up from like in the grade that i have it um i think it shot up from like somewhere in the 200s to like somewhere in like the 300s approaching 400s wow. but even at that i mean it's like when you're talking like there's going to be twenty thousand unlimited charizards <laughs> you know uh it's just it's something that it's like that number seems high but it's actually low you know for something yeah. that's only if it hasn't cracked a thousand you know in the pokemon world that's gonna be good you know yeah i mean and you know it, it kind of reminds me of the modern charizards and the mm-hmm. volume that they're getting graded at and the fact there are so many psa 10s it is so yeah. easy to get a, a psa 10 charizard it, it feels like it is yeah um the, the only way that you get lucky is if you just happen to have a card that had a bad issue with the print run right so like the evolutions charizard like the regular evolutions hollow charizard mm-hmm. insane amount of nines stupid mm-hmm. amount of nines not that many tens because it had a, an issue with i think like corner flicking like it would oh, uh, it would get like okay. you know like a little chip or white on the corner i don't know how that happens consistently for the same card but that was the print issue it had um and so like that psa 10 evolutions hollow charizard is a good card to have in a psa 10 um, but yeah. in PSA 9, like, it's so funny seeing, like, the skew of, like, the pop report um, to where it's, like, there's just, like, a mountain at 9. <laughs> you know, it's, like, there's, like, very That's few hilarious. 7 and under, very few 10s, a lot of 8s, and just, like, an insane amount of 9s. Mm-hmm. So. that that's awesome that you know yeah. the the one thing that i will say is like when you do a comparison between like the minty cards versus like the you know the, the unlimited first versus first edition for example yeah. it, it, it's really interesting when you look at the minty cards like mm-hmm. like 
this is this is what I tell people. There are unlimited cards yeah. that have a, a lower minty population than they do the first editions, yeah. which is really interesting. And that's just another like data point when you're yeah. trying to figure out what you want to do, what you want to buy, and then the price that you can afford. I mean, because even thinking about the Shadowless, I really think that the Shadowless, similar to the e-cards, are going to go down yeah. in history in terms of like just rarity, yeah. super short print run. It was like kind of an accident, but also kind of like a printing mistake, but not quite. Like it yeah. just wasn't in the purview. It wasn't in their plan. And then it just happened. And then, yeah. you know, you have these, like, you know, there's a shorter, it seems like there's a shorter print run of the Shadowless versus the first edition. Yeah. And yeah. they're also cheaper. <laughs> so, yeah. which so, is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Which is Rarity should be still crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But, um, but, but then the other thing too is like, when you do, that's why you really want to know the sets because what you just yep. said about the Evolutions Charizard in the print run, yep. you want to have, um, you know, it, it's it's a good idea to have a PSA 10, mm -hmm. but you still want to buy the card and not the grade because what yep. if a corner got by, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, you don't want to have the fucked up corner from the print yeah. run, even though it's a PSA 10, you still don't want yep. that um, because you're well, still spending top dollar. You gotta and, watch and that's where it's like it, it really does take just a lot of like random knowledge of the hobby to be able to like invest in these things correctly right because mm -hmm. i could see where you know someone would be like okay well yeah i should this card is a nine nine is mint i should i should yeah. get a nine but it's like the there is such a stark difference like just knowing what actually happened in that printing there's such a stark difference between what a 10 is and what a nine is um that you know, a nine would be good for most other cards, but in that situation, it's like a nine is like giving out Halloween candy, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, you know, it's like, like the, the different things that you have to have knowledge on, like how you said, like the shadowless run is like probably shorter than the first edition run, you know, like there's a lot of like idiosyncrasies that occurred with the printing that it's like, if you know about it, then you can make some smart buys. Like with the, um, I think it was unlimited Blaine's Charizard, right? So Ooh, yeah. most of the cards are error cards, right? Mm. Um, so it said like add a fighting energy when it was supposed to say add a fire energy. And so people see that and they're like, oh, I got the error. But like the they corrected it in like the last 20% of that print run, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, if you so have the correct rarer. one, yeah, the correct one is rare, right? Mm. But the, the one people I think are just so quick to jump to like, oh, it's an error card. Like if the error is the predominantly printed one, it's not that big of a deal, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's yeah. stuff like that that's like, if you didn't know that, you didn't know that, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. And and I think a kind of a testament to me when it comes to uh, vintage collectors, vintage yeah. collectors, you can tell when they really know their shit, when they've got the minties of the Hitmonchans and yeah. the... Um, and the and the chances, right? Yeah. And and in those cards, because you know they're hard to grade because everyone played with the hit on chance. So yeah. those hollows are scratched. Um, and then the chances were just so delicate in terms of the hollows. Yeah. So um if you have people with tons of those and like multiples of those, yeah. you're like, ooh, you you, you <laughs> they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's how I could always tell. And this is where I feel people can get really tripped up because it's like, you know, we have knowledge of this kind of thing. 
Um, but even this, like, I am aware that I have very limited knowledge in this thing that I feel like I have a lot of knowledge in, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you. <laughs> where it's like, you know, I can, I can talk about weird things about print runs and stuff like that. And like what you should and shouldn't collect. But like, you know, if we're going to compare me to someone like SM Pratt, like I have like 5% of his knowledge in the hobby, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and like, if you, if you don't like, if I'm the one who is like uh, giving someone like a lot of know-how about the hobby, it's like, okay, don't, don't buy yet. <laughs> right. Like, like if you, if you don't know do some close more. to this much, please do your research because otherwise you're going to get fucked with a lot of cards that like end up being valueless. Um, but at the end of the day, it is like collect what you love. So it's like, if you love yes. it, go for it. You know, like I have yeah. plenty of stuff, like one of the most prized cards in my collection um, is this CGC 9.5, um, just the regular Blastoise and Piplup GX from Cosmic Eclipse, okay. um, which is like, it's not the full art, it's not the rainbow or whatever, um, but it's the card that really got me back into the hobby because it's just so cool looking, you know? And so it's like, it's from my favorite set, it's an Arita card, and it's probably, I haven't even looked at the price of it because I have no intention of selling it, but it's probably like a $25 slab. But it's one of like my top five favorite cards in my collection, you know? Um, and so like if you're buying stuff because of that, because you have like a certain love for it, more the merrier, go for it, enjoy yourself. If you're buying cards to invest, do not buy until you really have looked into things um, because you're going to get burned real bad. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's some really good advice. And, and I can yeah. agree with you in terms of like the card that you cherish most in your collection. Because for me, that is an unlimited Mewtwo that I sent out to get graded for 30 bucks. PSA had no fucking idea I was doing. I came back a PSA <laughs> 8 because it was scratched. Like what happened was is I went to like a secondhand store, um, yeah. bought the card. Um, the guy that was checking like like on the register checking the card out checking yeah. checking me out um it, it, it cost me seven bucks to buy the card first off yeah. and he had it and he was holding it and he was like here let me grab a shitty card and he was going oh, like no. this he was going like this with no. the card right in front of me no. like just going like this fidgeting and i'm like what it got a PSA they were doing that? <laughs> wait what Thought he had a card shop and the guy was doing that. Like, doesn't he know? It, it wasn't. It wasn't a card shop. It was like a secondhand okay. shop, and so they were just okay. selling like books right. and video games. Yeah. So I was like, "This dude, I am going to go off on this dude. I'm going to carry yeah. this dude." Right <laughs> but then it came but back. Hey, still got an eight. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and so I was like, "Okay, no wait, maybe it was a seven. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It was near mint. Whatever. It was good enough for yeah. me. It was just like." the first card I ever got graded and it just like that just meant a lot to me. And I love you yeah. too. Um, yeah. so, so I have this useless card and well, actually, hold on. Let me, let me bring it back because yeah. I want to say buying the card, getting it graded cost me around 35, 40 bucks. Um, at the time it was going for just slightly less. So it wouldn't have, if I wanted to sell yeah. it right then and there, it wouldn't have. But then with the big boom, it went up to like $200 or something stupid. Yeah. And, um, and let me tell you, it's it's a good thing you love that card because it's going to go down, down, down <laughs> soon. Uh, yeah, because that's, you know, if anyone is is worried about like unlimited, um, go, go to PSA's page and look at their monthly updates because their monthly updates, it's pretty much like, okay, so we got, way more Pokemon cards than we did all of sports combined. Uh, and almost all of that is unlimited hollows. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a rough time. 
it's that's that's amazing to me um but you know at the end of the day if you just get the cards that you love at reasonable prices that do not break the bank that you didn't yeah. like fomo buy you're good yeah for sure <laughs> with you all know, those all that was the, the other thing about the expedition stuff is that it's like there are cards in that like journey to get everything that i did quote overpay versus what their prices are now but the margin of the overpay you know it's like that's a card mm-hmm. i'm going to keep forever right you mm-hmm. know and so it's like right now it's down right but if i don't have any intention of selling it ever like these are going to get passed down to my kids and then they can sell it if they want to you know yeah. it's like yeah. i'm pretty sure it's going to be a little bit more expensive when i'm dead so hopefully <laughs> maybe know? yeah yeah i'm i'm you know? i was really excited about the cdc uh sub that i just got back um because god i want to say it was a sky ridge an expedition and i can't remember there there were three and i and i can't even yeah. remember the cards i want to say i have a machoke oh, i can't even remember <laughs> but those cards actually did pretty well in my eyes considering cgc and considering those cards i think they graded like a 7.5 and i i'm happy about that I'm cool yeah. with that because it could have been like a two or a three. The surface is always the hardest part for me to grade. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. that applies to a lot of people. Um, like I CGC sent in, in CGC in particular. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I sent in three full sets of Southern Island, two English, one Japanese. The English ones blew my mind. It blew yeah. my mind because I have two PSA nine muse. And I'm yeah. like, how did this happen? Um, yeah. I, I'm really happy with those grades. Like obviously I thought they were gonna do pretty well, but what I wasn't sure of, and and I feel like with PSA, they kind of knew that there were some issues with those print runs because yeah. there's a ton of print lines. The reverse holes are very easy to scratch. It's very yeah. easy to get to scratch. So it's very hard to get minty versions. And so I felt like they were kind of lax on some of their grading. Yeah. So I wasn't sure what CGC was going to do, but they graded so them CGC, pretty well. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a video of like CGC's actual like grading process. <laughs> um, they've, they've got them published online. It's really interesting. So they have a machine that will look at like the layers of the cardboard to see if there are issues. Right. Um, huh. And so older cards just have a tendency to do much worse on surface um, because like there's wear and tear that will not be visible to the naked eye. Um, That's just like, Oh yeah, the cardboard is deteriorating on like the fourth inside layer, you know? And so it was like, that makes it to where it's like, okay, wow, that's really in depth. But also like if, if no one can see it, why drop the grade, you know? Um, Because that's not something that may ever be visible, but you know, for, you know, the way that they do it, like I have a shiny star V Charizard um, from CGC that has like a massive print line right across the face of it. Right. Which was like a known print run issue. Right. But it was like a massive print line across the face of it. And the surface is a nine five. And that kind of blew my mind a little bit um, because I'm like that. I felt like I was going to get like a seven or something on surface, <laughs> you know, uh, because of that print line, but because of the way that they grade surface, it's like, it's not really surface, it's surface and what's underneath the surface, you know, because they're looking at the mm. interior cardboard with their machine. I don't like that. Um, yeah, I don't like it either, you know? And yeah. so it's like, yeah, maybe I got a 9.5 because like the rest of the cardboard is pristine, obviously, because it's a brand new card, you know, but it really screws over the vintage cards. 
Yeah. Um, what I do like about PSA is they do in their grading, they consider the look of the card and how yeah. like does that affect the look? And and I think there's a better way to describe what they did <laughs> than how I just did. But yeah, but they take they factor that in. I'm curious to know the reasoning behind why they bother doing that with the cards. I wonder if that's like a baseball thing or a sports thing. Um, yeah, I, I get. So I would think that the reason is like, okay, well, if there's like deterioration in the cardboard, like that might be indicative of like, you know, more deterioration to come. But if you're encapsulating it, why does that matter? Right. I mean, you're encapsulating it from the outside world. So like, I doubt the cardboard's going to deteriorate that much. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's just a, it's a weird thing that they do. And, and I don't think that they're going to change that anytime soon. Cause I mean, they invested in these like super expensive, technologically savvy machines. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can, I can definitely understand that. And yeah, that hmm. I'm going to have to look at those videos cause I didn't know they existed. So yeah. 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 It's, so I think Ando, you know, unlisted leaf, um, Oh yeah. You, yeah, if you just go on his and search CGC, he did like when he did his first CGC sub, um, he did like a like a backstage tour of the grading. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. And so he like shows you some of that stuff. So it's a good one to look up. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to okay, so this is kind of what it reminded me of because you brought up the point about the interior cards. Can you yeah. explain to me? What the fuck is going on? Why have the magic cards been kind of shitty in terms of the quality? Because I opened up two Ooh. Crimson Vow collector boxes and like the edges were f- fucking stupid. What is it with <laughs> the hollows in 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 yes, they all come out curved. Yeah. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? Why? And, and honestly, I'm not gonna lie, for as cool as the art looks. And the camera is doing it more justice. But when you look, at it looks like flat. It looks bland. I don't know. It yeah. doesn't. Yeah, the, the, the foil color. on Magic cards suck, you know. Um, and so like, I've seen cool foils on Magic before, but the past, I don't know. Yeah, there's no texture to it. It's like the entire card, you know. So like it doesn't seem like there was like a lot of thought going into like how the foil plays with the artwork because they just do the whole card for every card. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know why they're getting like that uh, with the bend, you know, like, cause I noticed uh, that as well when I was opening Kamigawa. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. But you know, and that's where it's like, I, I, I need to really have to love the art on magic. Yes. Um, so like with the, <laughs> with the Japanese alternate arts, which are always like fantastic uh, mm-hmm. in the recent magic sets. Um, I don't feel like an urge to like, if I'm going to buy, like, I don't feel an urge to buy the foil version, even though it's slightly more rare um just because like it doesn't do much extra for the card sometimes it almost hinders it it seems like um so I yeah i mean i'm, I'm perfectly content to, uh, content to have those non-foil i but. i agree because like okay so this card amazing yeah. card not the foil looks awesome um yeah. but you know then i look at a card like this i mean this is probably one of the better hollows like the yeah. better foils but then i go to this one and it's just like yep kind of bland and i'm not gonna lie i do i do kind of dig how they did the foil in the full arts yeah um because i think they it it does seem to play into the art of Mm -hmm. the card which is great and then just the full arts in general these full art lands so especially um uh, i posted it i'm not sure i don't have like any cards on hand right now um but like one of the ones like swamp you know like the full art alternate art swamp 
you know, yeah. it's such a dark card that you can't really see too much of what's going on. But in the foil version, which I pulled, like as you move the card, you see more detail of the artwork, you know? And so like that, that's really helpful to have a foil version of, you know? But really that card Ooh. is basically just like mostly black and a little bit of red. And so it's like kind of hard to see what's going on. Um, but yeah, the foil helps there. <laughs> and, you know, yes. And also like these guys right here, this is not even yeah. my favorite one. But like, I just happen to have it in front of me. These, these just are cards. They mm -hmm. just are awesome. Yeah, Kamigawa and Strixhaven both crushed it on those, like the, the art collection cards. Those are both really good. Those sorcery cards from Strixhaven, I love. I, I'm trying to collect just a full one of that because I love the design. Yeah. It kind of reminds I me of Amonkhet a little bit. I'm trying to get like a borderless of the uh, professors in Strixhaven. Ooh, that's yeah. cool. So yeah, get it, getting the faculty nice. assembled. Nice. You know? <laughs> the teachers. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know what though? Like looking at this art, it is just in, I don't know. Like yeah. it, it is just so, so cool. I, I thought the trailer was also really cool. I sent the trailer out to some of my hobby buddies that aren't in magic and they thought it was just yeah. like a legit anime. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> it's not. But if they did, I'd watch it. Oh, Cause he's like, fantastic. I would watch that shit. I need some new shows. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, yeah. That'll be, you know, you bring that up. And again, like I know neither of us are really MetaZoo people, but it, it kind of brings me back to MetaZoo and thinking that, you know, they're planning other things for it, right? Like they're planning a comic book. I think some of the comics have already come out, right? And I think that they're going to try to catapult that into a television show. Um, and so like when I first heard about that, I was like, okay, well, you know, that that's kind of lame because like with Pokemon, it's like the show and the games is what really launched the TCG, you know? Um, and so it's like, there was already this sort of like organic want for, for a card game. Uh, whereas like MetaZoo is doing it in the reverse, but now knowing like how primed MetaZoo's base is, you know, doing something like that, like, you know, okay, and now it's time for a MetaZoo anime. Like, that would probably do really well, you know? And so it's like, if they did a Magic the Gathering anime, that would probably also do really well because you already have, like, a passionate base of people there. Yeah. Seriously. And and the other thing, too, when it comes to just anime in general, that is, like, really taking a – having a surge right now in the yeah. U.S. specifically. Like, um, when I was talking to Mason, one of the things that he mentioned that I thought was really interesting that I did not expect was the sort of collectability or just the purchasing of mangas in his shop. Yeah. That was one of the bigger ones that was, you know, helping to drive volume for him. And I thought that was really interesting because when we were kids, you were bullied for liking manga. Yeah. I, I never was into it until I was an adult and, um, um, you know, until I was an adult and the fact that like, I needed new shit, like, like yeah. years, years ago, I, I was like, oh, there are not any good stories for me to watch and absorb and, and take in the tropes were the same, same bullshit, not good movies out, yeah. same bullshit. And then, so I was like, okay, well, let me kind of explore death note. <laughs> <laughs> I think Death Note was entry into the anime and, you know, I was experiencing yeah. new tropes and new stories. And, you know, obviously it has their bad tropes and the yeah. silly I ones that they do all Death the time. Death Note was a gateway for stuff. a lot of people, you know, particularly people like in our age range, you know, yeah. um, because Death Note, like it was the first, you know, like Death Note in 2007 
you know, had like, you could buy merch at Hot Topic, you know? Yeah, and I was yeah, like, the so first, like now it's like, uh, yeah, what else do you get at Hot Topic other than anime stuff? Back then it wasn't like that, <laughs> you no, know? So yeah. like seeing anime stuff was kind of crazy. Um, yeah. But, but you know, I, of all the progress that's happened in the world over the past 20 years, I think like the low key most progress has been anime is cool. Uh, <laughs> because, so I, you know, talking about my job again, I have a teen substance abuse group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, kids who were sent from like probation or whatever. And, you know, it really runs the gamut of like, you know, jocks and nerds and like burnouts and like basically anyone, like tons of popular kids, all oh. of them love anime across yes. the board, love anime. That's awesome. And I, I don't awesome. understand how it happened. Like, I'm glad it happened. But, but like you said, I mean, it's like there was an anime club at our school in 2006 that was like two people and it was sort oh. of like the butt of a joke. And it's like crazy to think that now, you know, it's like the quarterback of the football team is wearing a Naruto jersey. Like, you know, it's like crazy. Progress. Progress. <laughs> For real. That, that's so awesome. Yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder if, if it is also because too, like the storytelling here in the U.S. has gotten a little stale. Um, like what's really giving me life is Arcane League of Legends. I can't not talk about it. Yeah. Um, now I compare everything to that level of storytelling. I yeah. think in my head it goes down as the number one like story franchise for me, even higher than Avatar, which is a saying yeah. a lot. It's saying a lot. Um, but they just did such an amazing job. And there's so many things that I can say that I don't want to go into that tangent, but maybe right. one day. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to ha- put that on my watch list then, because that is very, you haven't seen it yet? I haven't, I haven't. Uh, I um, it's, uh, it's irresponsible it's good. not to have seen it. Yeah. it it's good. It's good. I, I don't play the game. Never played the game. I thought about playing the game and then I saw the game. I'm like, the game looks stupid, but I really like the show. Um, they did such an amazing job. It took them six years to make season one. Yeah. It took them six years. And and what I really love about it is they put artistry and creativity in front of before everything, which is why it took six years. Yeah. The animation is so unique because you'll see that show and you're like, there is no other animated show that looks like it. It's a combination yeah. between the best of 2D, the best of 3D, and then painting. So it looks Ooh. like everything is painted. Oh, so cool. like any frame that you see from that show and it's like, screenshot wallpaper there we go that's it do you, like, I've got do you my think i need to years. have played league of legends no. to get into it okay. no not at all not at all um i did learn a little bit more about league of legends but it's not really interesting to me what's really interesting to me is the show because i think like considering we have similar tastes i think you can <laughs> really enjoy it just because of the depth that it has um and then if you fall down the rabbit hole of the YouTube creators that break down, yeah, um, Arcane, you realize the little details. Like yeah. when you you have to watch it at least twice because your second viewing is colored by what you already know what happened, uh, and then you, anyways, I don't want to give too much. Away. I'll get into it. I'll get into it. Yeah. So oh, so good. so hey, so you know, Jess, it, it wouldn't be a podcast with you and me if we didn't cover like forty different topics. <laughs> yes, like. Seriously, and and like that's the thing. I've actually like so something that we talked about mm-hmm. pre-camera was you know the content and the motivation and mm-hmm. why you did the thing. Well, why one does the thing that they do. Yeah. And one thing that I've been really thinking about because I've been rethinking the content 
and what I want to do. Because one of the things that you kind of fall victim of when you try to stay on a content schedule is like finding things to talk about that you're not interested in or you don't feel like a gravity towards. And then it's like, it, it might be mediocre content. It might not be mediocre content, but, but like talking about things that you care about versus like, talking about things that you don't really care about and lately i've been really interested in storytelling and and all those things that i find really fascinating and part of that has been you know watching and re-watching arcane and and you know because it's geeked out i'm really glad i named it that because i guess like yeah we talk about collectibles but maybe i can get into other content and i don't know like not everyone will like that content per se, but I think there's a fraction of us that would. And I, and I think, you know, I think I prefer that. That's more fulfilling to me. I don't well, know. I'll I, tell I you, if, you, if you're looking for permission, you have my special dispensation yes. to, <laughs> to yes. retool. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, that's, I feel like that's when you have the most fun is when you're just able to kind of like talk about what you want to talk about and get into the things that you like, you know, and you know, for me, I switched it up to where it's like my first year on IG was like trying to do content schedule. My second year was not, you know, um, and did I gain as many followers in the second year? Absolutely not. But did I have way more fun? Absolutely. Because I'm posting stuff that I care about. Um, you know, like I have the most chaotic, probably Instagram that has Pokemon in the title. When in reality, I'm always posting like sports and magic and other things, you know. Um, so, yeah, just do do what you like, you know. So, you know, if this uh, if this ends up being the swan song of the podcast, I don't care. I'm happy to be here with you. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. No, it, it's gonna it's gonna be great. I I I, yeah. I love it. And I think like the other thing too is trying to blend the content with you know the things that that I do as like a dev yeah. as like a software person. So. Um, you know, I've kind of teetered that a little bit with getting into blockchain and stuff like that, which is such yeah. an interesting and contentious topic. But, um, but I mean, I think the other thing too, that has, it's the other thing that's been really nice about kind of taking a break is the fact that I've been able to actually spend time working on my app and I yeah. decided to rethink my app because at first I was like, Ooh, how cool would it be to make this app? And then make it big enough to where I can just quickly like sell it off. And then I realized that there is so much competition out there and I'm only one person and I'm competing against VC funds. And so it's like, okay, let's retool expectation and let's just make it into something that's fun. Um, It's really pushing my skill and what I know. And I'm just building something that I want to build. And I think what I'm trying to like, like I think the end goal of the thing is a management tool. Like I I know I've said that before, but like a management tool that also incorporates like the budgeting part of it. So like, okay, I've sold these cards. This is kind of in my account. You know, this is my wish list. I could buy these cards right now with my budget. And then kind of having like, um, you know, a net, like you might be negative because you you bought these things and then if you want to, you know, make that money back or recoup it like i i'm still thinking those parts out yeah but i I think think it's you know just make the you know if you're making just like the the most functional best possible tool i think that's like the best way to go with it because it's like i remember when you first told me about the app and i was like oh that sounds really cool um and then like in the year that followed it's like okay well Card ladder did that, then eBay did that, and then you know it's like yeah. So, but yeah. but actually, like incorporating budgeting tools, you know, to make it more for like 
you know, the small time collector, what do I, how do I do what I want to accomplish? I think that's, that could be smart. That could be a good way to go with it. So I wish you the best of luck in that. Thank you. So, thank you. So Jess, yeah. thank you for having me on again. Um, you know, sh uh, shameless plug, go to thecollectioncase.com, use promo code Ferraratron, F-E-R-R-A-R-A-T-R-O-N for 10% off your order. Um, they don't pay me to say that, but they do pay me when you use that promo code. So. <laughs> but, That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, uh, for people, if anyone does look into it, it's like I pursued them because I love their products so much. So, and that's not false. That's not something that's being written. That's just like genuinely what it is. Um, and I've made only like $18 off of it. So don't think I'm raking in let, the box. Let's of that. make it 20. Let's make it 20. Yeah. Let's, let's make it 20 today, people. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, and then other than that, you know, it's like the only other place I'm really active is, active is on IG. So for Artron underscore Pokemon, uh, if you want to check me out there. Uh, and I hope that everyone listening to this, uh, you know, stays uh, stays in touch with Jess because she's wonderful and awesome. And I always Aww, love being on thank here. You. Thank you. Yeah. I love having you on. So this is great. Thank you. So, <laughs> all righty. Well, we...